Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my podcast as I sit here in my little basement with no windows at all and just imagining what it'll be like outside today in this unbelievably uh, unbelievable warm spell that we're getting here in Chicago and I'm sure where you may be too. But I am here and looking forward to sharing some thoughts with you as we continue our sermon series here at the church called Radical Hope. So let me share a little bit about that. But first, I'm going to read this passage from 1 Peter. Um, In this sermon series, we've been focusing on 1 Peter. So this comes from chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same intention, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, so as to live for the rest of your earthly life no longer by human desires, but by the will of God. You have already spent enough time in doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation, and so they blaspheme. But they will have to give an accounting to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed, even to the dead, so that, though they had been judged in the flesh as everyone is judged, they might live in the Spirit as God does. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God might be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him be the belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shot for joy when his glory is revealed. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this scripture. So I think I've probably told this story before, at least I know I've told it when sharing the story of how Urban Village started. One of the key successes that we had early on was a campaign that we had in the CTA, the Chicago Transit Authority, on the trains here in the city. And the basic marketing um, slogan was, we love a certain group of people and we love another group of people seemingly opposite. So We had five different signs, and they said, we love Democrats, we love Republicans, we love gay people, we love straight people, and so on. And when we applied for uh, getting a grant from United Methodist Communications, which is an entity in our denomination, we um, applied for the grant. It was a pretty significant amount of money, and they had to approve the marketing, uh, the look of it, and everything else. And as they did so, uh, they also had a requirement. We had to have the United Methodist cross and flame on each the logo on each of the placards that were in the trains. And at first, we were trying really hard to talk about Urban Village. And not that we are ashamed or want to run away from our denomination, but we live in a day where denominations don't have quite the same pull as they used to. So we wanted to create a 
marketing campaign that would help people who have no idea what denominations are, a space for them to feel like they can come into. But they insisted, the denomination insisted, which I can understand. So we had the cross and flame on the placard. And an interesting thing happened. We mostly, people would comment on the slogans that we had, the we love tattoos, we love suits, we love cup fans, we love socks fans, and so on. So most people focused on those, but we also had a few people say, oh, I noticed that there was the little United Methodist logo in the corner. I grew up United Methodist, and so therefore I was glad to see that this was a church that I could attend. And we had not even thought of that, that it was almost that little United Methodist logo was like a secret sign for those who grew up United Methodist or were familiar with the denomination. That was their little secret sign that winked to us, like, I know who you are, whereas most people, they maybe didn't even notice it. They focused instead on the words. So some who knew what it was got it, others didn't, and they didn't care. So I thought about that this week, our, that campaign, because I think about when we communicate with individuals, when we have conversations, especially with somebody that uh, we're meeting for the first time, I think we almost have litmus tests. Like We listen for words. We may, whether we acknowledge it or not, judge a person by the books that they read or the music that they listen to or the certain language, style of language that they use. And we decide, often within those first few minutes, this is something I'm interested in having a conversation with or being in a relationship with. So I bring all that up as we talk about this sermon series, this series called Radical Hope, where we are looking again at our core values of who we are as Urban Village. And if you don't attend Urban Village, I think you'll still be able to find something in here that will hopefully hopefully be applicable to your life too. We're in this crossroads in our society and in our church too, as we are doing some pretty major reorganizing of our lay leadership. We're going through this audit um, where we are looking at our systems and exploring what does it truly mean to be an anti-racist organization. So as we come to this crossroads of sorts, that's why it's important for us to root ourselves in our mission and our values. So for those who are familiar with Urban Village, our core values are being bold, inclusive, and relevant. We say them every single Sunday. And the thing about it is those words can mean different things to different people. If I say bold, some of you will think different things. It's a code word of sorts. If I say relevant, it's the same thing. Now, the word inclusive is probably the most obvious code word that we use in our core values. When I, so when someone, for example, again, saw the cross and flame, they knew, oh, this is a United Methodist Church. When we use the word inclusive, I think many people know, oh, that's code for that LGBTQ people are welcome here. Now, that doesn't always happen. People don't always use that word. But I think it's one of those words that people say, okay, they use that word. That's probably what they mean. I'm going to make sure that that is what they mean and so on. So, and that's true. Inclusive is often a word that connotes openness to LGBTQ folks. And that's one of the reasons certainly we wanted that. But is that the only thing that it means? Is the word inclusive only mean that gay folks are welcome in our spaces. So I want to unpack this a little bit, this word inclusive and what it means. So again, first I read from 1 Peter, and just a quick overview of 1 Peter. This was a letter written to churches, and at the time, churches in an area called Asia Minor. Today we know that as Turkey. So the new churches that are just starting up, 
And there are really the individuals who make up these churches are in a challenging place. Many of them have left their families to live into this new way of being, this new way of following Jesus. And today in the 21st century, we talk about the dedication or the commitment we make to a faith, but I think we sometimes lose sight of just what a radical decision this way this was for folks in the first century. They left their families, many of them left their ways of life to join this new movement. So they are living this new way, but also there's the danger of living their faith too blatantly that it would be quashed by the Roman Empire because they did not, the Romans did not want people to live their faith in such a way that would overturn who the Romans were. So they lived in this fraught place of being unique because of this new way of living out their faith, but not too unique. So throughout this letter, we see themes of suffering because of the difficulties that people experienced in being Christian. There are themes of how to live in this world without being of this world. It's a phrase that we still today talk about. How can I be unique while still living in this world? In the text we read today, it makes mentions that some individuals are catching flack for not going along with the crowd anymore. In verse 4, you may have experienced this in some part of your life. So the verse says, they are surprised, your friends, former friends, they are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation. I love that phrase, excesses of dissipation. Another translation, uh, the message says this, of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join in with the old gang anymore. So individuals lived a certain way of life. And the author here lifts up some behaviors, perhaps some ways of being that are not aligned with what it means to follow Jesus. And so these early Christians have made a decision. I'm not going to live that life. I'm going to focus instead on Christ. And that brings about um, dissension, conflict, suffering. In many ways, these churches are trying to figure out how to be bold. So that is, Christ is foundational and relevant. How to live my life in a world that can be hostile to a person of faith. But also, these churches are trying to figure out what it means to be inclusive. Now, in this instance, I think one way to express how these churches were inclusive would be to say that they practiced radical welcome. You know, these days we talk about extremes. We may have seen uh, on television extreme sports or extreme eating. And here we want to talk about radical or extreme Welcome. This is what these early churches, one of the things that were all about, that was one way that they lived in being inclusive to express that truly radical welcome. And I think that's one of the pieces that we can talk about what it means for us to be inclusive today. And I'm linking now inclusivity with the word hospitality. Now, when we talk about hospitality these days, often people don't always make that connection with inclusivity, because in their minds, hospitality means that you set a nice table. A couple of years ago, I went with a church group to England, and we were touring around different sites, kind of a Methodist pilgrimage of sorts. We were going to different locations where John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, uh, found to be important in his own life. So we went to his uh, birthplace, the town and his birthplace called a city called, or town called Epworth. And while we were there, we had lunch served by some really wonderful British women, English women in this little Methodist church. 
And you can imagine these women all probably in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And it was just wonderful British hospitality. These women making us these little sandwiches and tea and all these things. And they were as sweet as you could be. And it was such a wonderful feeling. So when I say hospitality, I think often people think, well, that's hospitality. And that is a segment of hospitality. That's a really wonderful way of describing hospitality. But hospitality is also something much, much more. I think that word has been domesticated and we lose just how radical hospitality was, particularly to people in early churches, like these churches in Asia Minor. A really, really great book is, uh, was written by Christine Pohl a few years ago called Making Room, a survey of sorts about the history of hospitality. And in her book, she says that hospitality involves some space into which people are welcomed, a place where unless the invitation is giving, given, the stranger would not feel free to enter. And then she says this about hospitality. She says, although we think of hospitality as a tame and pleasant experience, Christian hospitality has always had a subversive countercultural dimension. One person who worked with the Catholic worker, these um, institutions and organizations in the 20th century that were started by a woman named Dorothy Day opening up uh, different buildings and spaces for all people, including those who are homeless, experiencing homeless, homelessness. One person from the Catholic worker said that hospitality is resistance, especially when the larger society disregards or dishonors certain persons. Small acts of respect and welcome are potent far beyond themselves. Subversive, countercultural, these are not words often that we think about when we share and describe and define hospitality. And yet this is exactly what was happening in the early church. This is exactly what was happening in these churches that we read about in 1 Peter. Worship, care, again, I'm quoting from this book, worship, care, and hospitality in early Christian households included believers from different political ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds and early congregations developed a translocal and transethnic identity. So when I say inclusive, it is much more than saying we are welcoming of all individuals, including people who identify as LGBTQ. That's part of it, to be sure. It's a core component of who we are. But hospitality, inclusivity, which is also subversive and countercultural, that we make a decision that we will create space, both literally, hopefully, in our worship locations, which is why we're looking again at our worship locations. Are we truly in these spaces exhibiting radical welcome? That's what it means to be inclusive. Radical welcome. Countercultural welcome. Subversive welcome. Hospitality as resistance that goes against cultural norms. So at Urban Village, I think sometimes we think, well, sure, we do that. We, we, we welcome people, and not just Urban Village, but I think a lot of churches think about that too. Absolutely, we, we welcome people, and anyone is welcome. Um, and so it's a little bit of a trite saying to say that all are welcome. But to get at hospitality and inclusion as subversive and countercultural, like these first churches in First Peter experienced, then they said, it talks about in the verse, talks about hospitality 
as one of the things, be hospitable to one another without complaining, the verse 9 says, that that's what they were all about. And so we ask ourselves the question, is that what we are all about too? And again, hopefully we say yes, absolutely. Most churches would say that. Now, one thing that I want to really emphasize and challenge all of us on is not just to think about how can we improve the radical welcome that we have, but to think about how we are doing that and the state of mind that we're in when we say that. And by that, I mean when we say, I I welcome all people into my space. I welcome all people. I think what often happens is subconsciously we say, I welcome you into my space. And then we don't realize that it's my space, which means that it's a space where I feel comfortable. Like I will, if anyone comes to me into the space where I feel like where it's my culture, where the vast majority of people are of my race, where it's the music that I feel comfortable with, where it's the political leanings that I have. If you come into my space, I will welcome you with open arms. And we miss out sometimes when we think about hospitality and inclusion and welcome, we only think of it as a one-way exchange. I will welcome someone into my space. And we don't often enough flip it so that we also are experiencing what it means to be welcomed by someone else. Now, there are some individuals, certainly, that's their daily life, especially for those who live in uh, a racial minority. They are often having to code switch or change who they are in order to be welcomed into someone else's space. And sometimes they may experience that radical welcome and sometimes they don't. But what does it mean for all of us to go through and be vulnerable enough where we go into a space where we are the stranger, where we have to be welcomed in? And then we experience the struggle sometimes that Others may struggle when they are not radically welcomed. If we are only the person who is the welcomer, we lose out really on the true meaning of hospitality and the true meaning of inclusion. And I am just as guilty of this as anybody else. So I've been trying with very small steps to put myself in a position where I am the one who is going to be welcomed. I've been really convicted lately. Uh, I was at a seminar two, three months ago Uh, where the topic of the seminar was around um, job creation and whether job creation can help stem the violence that we see in our city. One of the aldermen emphasized and encouraged people to say, Chicago's a big place. Because what happens in Chicago, in the city, is people only go into their neighborhoods and they experience their neighborhoods, often where those where they feel like, I'm safe here, and they don't stretch themselves to go into other parts of the city because that makes them a little bit vulnerable. And it also denies them the opportunity to be welcomed by someone else. So they don't experience hospitality themselves. So I've been trying to take small steps to do just that. I've been having some initial conversations with a man named Bernard Lloyd, who is uh, the CEO of this organization in Chicago called Urban Junctures. One of the things that Urban Junctures is doing is to create... Uh, new businesses, new restaurants, new opportunities for entrepreneurs in the Bronzeville neighborhood of Chicago. Bronzeville has a long history in the city of a place where during the Great Migration, people would come to Chicago and often would settle and and live in Bronzeville, which is on the kind of near south side of the city. 
and also just so many different, particularly cultural icons, uh, came to Chicago and lived there. So he's trying to do this in Bronzeville. For those who know Chicago, he's particularly focusing on the 51st stop on the Green Line. So you're getting into the South Side. And I found out, I learned about uh, one of our members had put me in touch with Bernard Lloyd, and I was set up a meeting to talk with him to learn more about what they were doing. And I learned in the process, they also have created this space sharing location. So for people who don't have permanent offices, they can go and pay a certain fee every month, and they go and they are in that space. And the more they talked about it, it was like a little light bulb went off. It was like God was speaking to me saying, this could be a space for you. Because that space, I will be in the minority. It's a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And uh, I will be in that space, probably one of the only white people there. And I say all of this not to pat myself on the back, not to say, uh, aren't I a great person that I'm, that I'm going and, and doing these things. But instead, I'm doing this so that I can experience what it means to be vulnerable and to experience radical welcome. What it means to go in that space and to have them, and they've already started to do this. I've I've sent in my application to be part of the Bronzeville Incubator so that I can um, have this space sharing, so that I can experience this radical welcome not only in that space, but in these restaurants that they're wanting to create too. So last week, uh, Grant Crusor, who is a member of our staff and I, we went down to talk to Bernard, and afterward we went to this Jamaican uh, um, restaurant. One of the things that the these restaurants that they're trying to create. And I walked in and I saw the menu and I wasn't quite sure what some of the things on the menu were. I'm just not as familiar with that. And I looked to Grant, who's African-American, and I, who has experience in eating at this, at this restaurant and the person who was serving me. And I think they saw in the look on my face, like, I, I'm not exactly sure what to get. So I was being vulnerable. And they were gracious and welcoming in the way that they helped me through this process. So these are very small things But by putting myself in a position where I'm not the only one being the welcomer, I'm not the only one saying, you come into my cultural space where I feel safe, but instead putting myself where I'm vulnerable. And I don't know that part of the city as well. I don't know that train stop very well. I don't know the restaurants quite as well. And so I'm putting myself in that position, again, not to say that I'm some uh, great person, but instead so that I can experience what it means to be radically welcomed so that I can experience inclusion too. And in doing so, that changes my own sense of what it means to be inclusive, my own sense of what it means to be counterculturally hospitable so that I can say, I know what it's like to come into a space and be unfamiliar. And I know what it's like for someone to come up to me and say, you are welcome here. In a very small way. And I hope that that will change the way that I am inclusive, change the way in that I am welcoming, change the way in which I am hospitable too. Because that, I think, is our call. If you notice in this passage, it says to be hospitable, to love, to serve one another. It doesn't say that you are the only one serving that you are the only one who's giving hospitality, also means that you are on the receiving end too. And that's a piece of hospitality and inclusion that we sometimes forget. So, friends, be one who is radically welcome, yes, but also be one who is radically welcomed. Go into spaces where you will be vulnerable 
and you are at the mercy of somebody else who will be in that space so that you can be welcomed and experience the true notion of inclusion and hospitality too. That's a little bit, I think, of what we mean by inclusive at our church. And I don't want that just to be a secret sign, a code word as far as like we wink at each other, like we really know what inclusion is, but that we broaden that so that all can know what this kind of welcome can be. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to the podcast. And as always, you can reach out to me, Chris, at urbanvillagechurch.org or on Twitter. I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm always happy to reach out and connect. And I will be back next week as we finish up our sermon series. So until then, may the peace of Christ be with you.